Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. You know that two weeks ago, our Spanish ministry began a brand new service at the Richmond Rosenberg campus. Over the last two Sundays, we've had an average of just under 100 adults and 40 children, and the response has been amazing. This is a new church plant, in essence, and to have so many, it was way beyond our expectations, and we are so excited. What is exciting to me is that over the next several weeks and months and years, God is going to use this church's ministry in Richmond and Rosenberg for primary Spanish speakers to see so many of these individuals come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior and begin to grow and mature in their faith in Christ. And I am very excited about what is headed our way. I'm going to ask you, please be in prayer for Pastor Juan. Carlos Heredia. He is a brilliant man. I don't know if you've been around Juan Carlos much. He is a brilliant man, a godly man, and he is a fantastic leader. Pray for him and pray for our entire Spanish ministry and staff that God would continue to use us to make a difference in the lives of people in Richmond, Rosenberg. There was a letter that went out a few years ago from the uh, Health and Human Services Division to a resident of Greenville, Kentucky of South Carolina. The resident, it was sent to this resident, and I'm just going to quote it verbatim, verbatim uh, how the letter read. It said this, your food stamps will be stopped effectively March 1992 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if your circumstances change. <laughs> so if you get resurrected from the dead, please let us know. We, we want to be aware of that. You and I have been in a year of constant circumstances changing. And not just weekly, I mean, it's like every day and every hour. I've never lived a year like this, and maybe you haven't either. This has been a tough year. I've had so many people say to me, this has been the hardest year of my life. And I can tell you the same is true for me. I have experienced stress to a higher degree and over a prolonged period more this year than I have ever known in my life. I have had so many people say to me, I can hardly wait until January the 1st just to get out of this year because 2021 has got to be better than 2020. This week, I have sat with a couple of families of our church as they, as they have gone through such pain and such heartache. It has been a hard week for them. And for others that I know nothing about, but you have gone through hard times this week. If there is anything I have learned about life is that every one of us are going through something. All of us are going through our issues, and there's a whole lot of walking wounded among us. And so what do you do? How do you deal with hard times? How do you arise above hard times? That's what I want to talk to you about today. The author of the book of James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was the man named James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. 
They were half brothers because though they had the same mother, they had a different father. James's father was Joseph. Jesus's father is God. Mary was a virgin when she bore Jesus. And you can imagine how hard that must have been for James and the other siblings because James had the son of God as his big brother. And so when you read the story of James, you read that James rejected Jesus all during his ministry. And you can understand why. I mean, here is Jesus raising people from the dead and he is walking on water and he is healing the sick. I mean, most big brothers can make it hard. But when your big brother is the son of God, it is really tough. And so James rejected Jesus as a Messiah. But at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the people Jesus made a point to appear to was James. And when James encountered Jesus, he had no choice. He accepted Jesus, not as his half-brother, but as his Lord and Savior. And James had an amazing leadership gift. He was an incredible leader. And the early church, first century church, greatly benefited because of the leadership skill of James. James also had the nickname of camel knees. And it was intended as a compliment. If you've ever looked closely at camels and you looked at their knees, you're going to notice that camels have this extra skin that just sort of flaps over at their knees. And the reason is because they are on their knees so much that the skin stretches. And now they got this extra skin just sort of flapping over. And they call James camel knees because James spent so much time on his knees in prayer to God that he had formed camel knees. If you're going to learn anything about prayer, you can learn it from this guy because he understood what prayer was about. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that very thing. What difference does prayer actually make in our lives? So listen to what James says in James chapter 5 and beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man. And by the way, a righteous woman as a righteous person can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with like nature as us, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What James is doing in this passage is explaining for us four particular times in particular that we are to pray to God. And I want us to look at those four times. But before we do, I want us to take a, a quick look at some basics about prayer that the Bible teaches us. 
And the first one is simply this. Prayer helps us to align with God's will and God's purpose. So much of our prayers, if you think about it, is trying to get God to align with our will. God, this is what I want you to do. So God, would you change your will and align your will with mine? Well, the problem is, is that that just doesn't work. The purpose of prayer is actually for us to align our will with God's. And the very fact that we're humbling ourselves before God does something inside of us to sort of open up our heart to say, oh God, God, okay God, not my will but thine be done. I am willing to yield to you. I am willing to humble myself to you. The whole goal really in that time of prayer is to take our, our desires and our needs before the Lord, but then to be willing to say, God, I yield, I humble myself to you. I want to hear your voice. I, I want to know what you want to do in my life. And then I want to pray in accordance to your will. I want you to think about what Jesus said in John chapter 6 when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. One of the great things that happens in prayer is that we begin to hear his voice. I'm not saying audibly, but we do. There is a sense of a discernment of the voice of God versus the voice of, of noise around us. And one of the whole reasons of prayer is to learn the voice of God, to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And to align then our will with the will of God. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is that prayer activates the power of God. James says in James chapter 4 verse 2, you have not because you ask not. And what God is really saying to us is this, there are so many things I wanted to do for you. You see, I know you've got a will. I know you think this is the way it ought to go, but I'm going to tell you, I can see over the hill. I can see around the bend. I know what you really need and I love you. My will is actually greater for you than you realize. And you have no idea the things I would have done for you. You have no idea the things that I would have given you. But you just wouldn't pray. You're just doing it on your own, going your own direction. I don't think I need God. I believe I can get this done by myself. And all the while, I would have given you so much more. But you have not because you ask not. God is saying to you and me, there's power if you just be willing to come to me. Let me do my will in your life. You'll be shocked at what I'll do. There's a third principle is simply this, that prayer is intended to be a familiar conversation with God, not a formal strings of these and thous. You can say these and thous in your prayers if you want, but why would you do it? The whole idea of prayer is conversation with God as though you know him and he knows you, as though you love him and he loves you. A familiarity with him. Coming to a place of breakthrough in which 
It's just spending honest to goodness, spending time with God. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, and when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be here for their, heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father already knows what you need even before you ask him. Don't chant all these memorized prayers and all these phrases and words. Just come and talk to me. This is what Jesus is saying. Just come and talk to me and have relationship with me. This is what prayer is intended to be, this familiar conversation with a God you have come to know. And then the last is simply this that I want you to take note of is that prayer is to be a continual attitude for our life. This is why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Doesn't mean bow your head without ceasing, close your eyes without ceasing. It'd be pretty hard to drive that way. I've encountered a few people that I thought were doing that in their driving, but that is not the idea. The idea is to practice the presence of God every day, all the time. It's go, God is right there with you. He's walking through life with you like Enoch and God and Enoch walked together and Enoch was not. The whole idea of practicing the presence of God in your life, knowing that he hears, knowing he sees. So that all day long what we are doing is just shooting up little prayers little text messages to God and hearing his voice in our life and experiencing life together. This is the whole idea of what God intended. And I know, I do know that when a person has not been praying much and, and, and they, they, praying becomes uncomfortable, it, it, it seems odd and awkward and you're praying and you, oh, but here's what I want to say to you, break through that. Get to the other side of that and begin to experience actual relationship with God. And all of a sudden, this whole life with God totally changes. There truly is a sense of his presence in your life. So these are four principles I want you to grab hold of. And so with these in mind, let's take a look at what James now teaches us of four different ways are of praying to God and why. So listen to what he says. First of all, prayer should be the first response in hurting times. He puts it this way. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Doesn't mean that that's all we do, but let it be the first thing we do. Before you run to somebody else and complain and before you go anywhere, just stop and spend some time with God. Share with him what is going on in your life. He knows, but this is a moment of time to share with him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear only because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let him be the first place you go. When a little kid falls down, cuts their knee, or gets a boom-boom, or whatever, what happens to that little child? Where's the first place they go? They go to mommy is where they go. 
Now, daddy is a close second, but he is second because a mommy has so much momminess about her. And that child knows she'll understand somehow. And God is saying to you and me, I understand you're wounded. I know what you're going through. But the first thing you do is come to me and talk to me about it. Casting all your care, First Peter says, upon him because he cares for you. An eagle senses when a storm is coming. Uh, they don't need to, to watch the weather news. They, they don't need that. In fact, they get it right 100% of the time and, and the weatherman doesn't. Our woman doesn't. And, but a, a, a eagle senses the coming of a storm. And when that happens, the eagle does, does not just hunker in to the nest. What the eagle does is actually leave the nest and fly as far up as she can, as far as she can go on her own. And then the wind that always precedes the storm, that eagle, when the wind begins to come, makes her wings be tilted in such a way that the wind then carries her actually further up than she can fly by herself. So when the storm does arrive, the eagle is actually above the storm. Didn't avoid the storm, just rose above the storm. So that when the storms come, the eagle is there, experiences, but above it, rises above it. And this is what God is saying. I want to be in your life. I want to be the wind beneath your wings. So that when the storm is coming, you don't hunker down. You, you rise to me. You, you go as far as you can go on your own. And you let my wind of my spirit then catch your wings and bring you above the storm. You don't avoid the storms. But you rise above them. And let me be that power for you. To show you how you can rise above the storms. When you are hurting, when you're going through hard times, the first thing you need to do is go to God. And I'm going to ask you today, would you make that decision? Because guess what? Hard times are coming. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know when they're coming, but hard times are coming. And when they do, would you open your heart this week to allow God to be the wind beneath your wings? Go to him first in prayer. You can go to other people. Oftentimes it helps us to go for counseling, share our, our wounds, but first go to God. The second thing he says is, is that prayer should be a natural expression in happy times. See what he says in verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. We have just gone through a time of worship together. Have you noticed about worship have you stopped sort of and, and actually thought about the words in which we're singing? Every song or almost every song that we sing in, in worship time is either recounting the characteristics of the nature of God or it is speaking directly to God about the characteristics of his nature. But the truth is, no matter whether we're speaking directly, when we're singing, or about him, 
We are talking about the nature of God, the characteristics of God. Oh, God, you love me. Oh, God, you are all powerful. Oh, God, you, are, you know my needs and you care about what you know about me. And oh, God, you are so strong. You can give me the strength to get through this. I love you, God. I adore you, God. I am amazed by your power, God. And all during the time that we're singing, we are singing these kinds of songs. These kinds of words. And you know what happens to us? When we are actually voicing them. When we're actually voicing these, these characteristics of the nature of God, it does something inside of us. As we are voicing these words and we are denoting the characteristics of the nature of God, our brain sort of at some point catches up. He is all powerful. You know what? That's really right. He does love me. He does care for me. He is able to, to rescue me. Oh God, you are wonderful. You are marvelous. Holy is your name, oh God. And what happens is as we are speaking these words, it is actually building our faith the whole time we are giving adoration to him. It's building our faith. It is raising our understanding again of God in light of what we're going through right now. I, I love the fact that we, we can watch online. Thank God we can do that because we need something during these days. But so much of the time while we're, the worship is going on, maybe we're sort of tempted to not actually sing ourselves. Maybe where you're in your house, you think, I don't have that great of a voice. I don't want the rest of my family to, to hear me sing off key. And so it's just sort of watching the other people worship, you know, that are the worship leaders, just listening to them sing. The only problem is, though that is a blessing, that is a help. And I acknowledge that. And if that's all we can do, it's all we can do. I got to tell you, there is something powerful that happens when we speak the words, when we even hear the words coming out of our mouth. There is something that happens inside our heart. And this is why we need corporate worship. This is why we need to actually sing because as we are hearing these words come out of our mouth, it is reminding us again of who this great and glorious and wonderful God we serve is. And it raises our faith. James says, when you're going through great times, give God the praise for it. Acknowledge who he is and the nature of our God. There's a third thing he says that prayer should also be where we turn when we are hurting physically. And so notice what he says in verse 14 and 15. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore. And the one who is sick, the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven to him. This is what we talked about last Sunday. And in fact, the whole message was about just this one part. What does the Bible teach about supernatural healing? And if you didn't hear the message, I wish you'd go back. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the word of God. And hear what God says about the subject. We noted that we are to initiate it and we are to go to our elders, and the word elders doesn't mean old ones, it means pastors, just another name for pastor. And we, they are to pray for us, they are anoint us with oil, 
And they are to pray in accordance to God's revealed will. That's what the prayer of faith is all about. It is to pray in accordance to the revealed will of God. We talked about this last week. Now, here's the question. Does it really do anything? Does it really actually make a difference in our life when somebody is praying for us? Well, that was the question that the research project was all about. It was a research project that was done by San Francisco General Hospital. Does prayer for people who are sick really do anything? Uh, it was cardiologist Randy Bird that ran the, the program, ran the, the experiment, and uh, it, was in, it was for uh, patients with heart problems, and all of them were in ICU. And he picked 192 patients for prayer for them and 201 patients for no prayer for them. Now, we all know, hey, but they may have been being prayed for by family and friends and that kind of thing. Sure, that is, that is certainly true. But what he did is he picked 192 people to be prayed for, 201 people to not be prayed for, and they did not know which group they were in. Neither did their doctors, neither did their, their nurses. And uh, Dr. Bird also had found a way to recruit hundreds of fervent prayer warriors. How he did it, I don't know. I haven't read the whole study. I've just read the results of it. But he found a way to recruit all over the country fervent prayer warriors who, boy, they are going to pray and pray and pray and pray, and they're going to pray with earnest they were only given first names. They were not given diagnosis or prognosis. They were not told anything except this person is in ICU and this person has a heart issue. And we need you to pray for them. Well, the end result came out. And uh, let me read a little bit of what took place. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm reading the result here. The prayed for group had significantly fewer complications than the other prayed for the unprayed group. Uh, there were fewer members of the prayed for group that died. They, the prayed for group were five times less likely to develop infections, three times less likely to develop a lung condition, and three times less likely to have heart failure. Now, I know that there are all kinds of questions you and I have about this study, but here is the thing. It was done so well, and its ramifications so impactful that it was actually published in the proceedings of the American Heart Association. And the whole point was this. There's something that happens with people who are prayed for versus people who are not. So here's what I'm going to say. When I get really sick, really sick, sick, I only want fervent people praying for me. I don't want these people, oh, God bless Mark. I don't want those people. You can just forget it. I'm not interested. But those of you who know how to pray, who know how to get to the throne of God, and I'm married to one of those people, that's the people I want praying for me because it makes a difference. And that is what James is also saying. There's a fourth thing. Pray immediately when we are hurt spiritually. 
And notice what he says, James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I don't know, did you read the story about the optician who fell into his lens grinder and made a spectacle of himself? Okay, I know it's corny, but I heard that this week, and I had to, I, where can I put that? Where in this, this sermon could that fit? This was the only place I could find. James says, instead of hiding your faults, confess your faults. To who? Well, obviously to God, but that's not who he's saying. He says, confess your faults to one another. Confess your faults to another that you've wronged, and all of us do. All of us screw up. All of us wrong other people. How can we help it? We are around other people. It is part of life. Second of all, he's talking about confession to another you love and you trust about your weaknesses, your failures, and your needs. I was talking to a member of our church yesterday, and he said he has got some individuals in his life. He just trusts them. And they're sort of like accountability partners. That's what he was describing. I can go to them. I can share my weaknesses. I can share my needs. And I can talk about my life. And that is a great treasure. And James is saying, we were never meant to stand alone. We need each other. We need other people praying for us. Confess your faults one to another. And be healed in the process of it all. And then he brings a close to all this when he makes this statement. And when we make prayer so important in our life, we will get results. And notice how he puts it in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And that accomplish much is a phrase that simply means has a powerful result. There's a little eight-year-old boy named Danny Dutton from Chula Vista, California. He, and when the third grade, he, he goes to a Christian school, and he, all the third graders were asked to write a paper about prayer. What is it that you understand about prayer? Write a paper about prayer. So this is a part, just a section of what he wrote. He said, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there'll be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies, and I think it's because they're smaller and easier to make. That way, he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them how to talk and walk. He can just leave that up to moms and dads. God's second most important job is listening to prayers, and an awful lot of that goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times beside bedtime. God doesn't even have time to watch TV because of this. And because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything and he hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy if you think about it. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head by praying for things they already said you couldn't have. He's a smart kid at eight, isn't he? So 
So how do we place ourselves in a position in which our prayers actually have power? How do we do this? This is what James is saying. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. First of all, live right. Psalm 66, verse 18, David says, if I hide, it means if I regard, if I conceal the iniquity, the sin in my life, God won't hear me. And so God is just being honest with us. You really want me to hear you? You really want to do something? The first thing you got to do is get honest with me about yourself. You've got to, you got to get honest with yourself about yourself, and you've got to get honest with me about yourself. And you need to confess this sin and forsake it. And then I will be powerful in your life. Second of all, you've got to pray in faith. Faith is simply the trust and obedience to the revealed will of God. Praying in faith means that we ask God to show us his will, and then we obey it. And third, we got to pray with fervency. And that word that is translated fervency simply means stretch to the limit. It cannot be, oh God, bless the missionaries and all the people in the world and all the sick people. It can't be that. There has to be a sense of fervency and a sense of, God, I know you are listening and I need your help. And here's what's going on. Because the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. So I'm asking, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And if you do, I'm telling you, you can make an impact through prayer if you're willing to have the ingredients necessary. There's some things that need to change in your life, things, some things you need to ask forgiveness in your life, or there's some things you need to forsake in your life. Well, go do it. And then take the principles we've looked at today and make the decision this week, this is exactly how I'm going to live. And for some of you, I'm going to tell you the first prayer God will ever hear from you is the prayer, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I commit my heart in faith to him. On all four of our campuses right now, those that are listening online, God wants to save you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord. Would you give your heart to him right now? Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you today. And for all those that are listening, God, that do not know Jesus as Savior, may this be the day of salvation. May this be the day that that many humble themselves and say, oh, God, I need you. And I turn my heart by faith to Jesus Christ. God, I pray you would move in hearts to make that decision today. And, Father, I pray for those of us that know Christ as Savior, that this would be the day that we got our heart right with you and cleansed, and we are moving toward your will, not ours, and that we can pray in faith according to you, Will, and God, you can use us in a powerful way. Help us learn how to pray these kinds of prayers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.